Welcome to 715. My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. We are continuing our studies on the book of Colossians. It's been an incredible, I think we're in week seven of the book of Colossians. It's been phenomenal. And uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter two, verses eight through 15 tonight. But before I get to that, I want to take a minute just to recap what we've talked about so far. Paul has written this book to the church in Colossae, the Colossians. It's a church that's, that's doing pretty well, to be honest. They're doing, um, they're doing pretty well, and, and, and Paul starts uh, with this prayer. He says, I, I pray that, that you would increase in your spiritual knowledge, in your wisdom, in your understanding of who Jesus is, that you would be filled with all power, that you would be filled with strength, that you would have endurance to run this race, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He says, I pray that you would walk in thanksgiving to a God who has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And he did that through Jesus. Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus, the head of all rule and all authority of all thrones and dominions and power. Jesus, the head of the body of the church. Jesus, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus, Paul keeps saying. He says, it's through Jesus that you who were once alienated from God have now been reconciled to God. And if you would hold fast to Jesus, that's all you need. Paul says, this is what I labor for. This is what I suffer for. This is what I, this is what I work for, to make known the mystery of the scriptures, which are revealed in, in Jesus. What are the mysteries of the scripture? Well, if, if you were to ask anybody kind of what's the, what's the overarching arc of the Bible, there's, there's creation, uh, there's the fall, and then there's, there's redemption and then restoration, right? And um, what Paul is saying is that, you know, you get through creation and the fall by about, by about here, by about the third page in your Bible. You get creation and then the fall happens all very, very quickly. And then if you go to the Gospels where we get into redemption and reconciliation, um, that's about here. And what Paul is saying is like, what happens in this part? of the Bible. Like, what are all these pages for? We have these different prophets, we have these different laws, we have this wisdom literature, we have poetry, we have, we have all of this, and what Paul is saying that this mystery, all of the words of this point to one person coming. It's Jesus. And if you would, would hang on to Jesus, what would be revealed to you are treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's the mystery of scripture revealed to us in Jesus. This is what I labor for, Paul says. He says, so you, church in Colossae, you Colossians, you who were established in Christ, that's, that's, you came to this faith because of Jesus. You who were established in Christ, stay rooted in Christ. Stay rooted there. Put down deep roots and don't move off of that spot. Stay rooted in Christ Jesus. And this is now where we pick up our teaching in chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And I'll give you a little bit of setup, and then I want to read it um, together. So, so Paul has made this beautiful case about Jesus 
And uh, it sounds like he has heard from Epaphras. Remember, Epaphras is Paul's man on the inside. Paul hasn't been to the church in Colossae, but Epaphras is the one uh, who, who started the church there, and that's, that's the one who is uh, colleagues with Paul. And it seems like Paul has heard from Epaphras that, that some in the church um, are either promoting, pushing, or at least there's pressure to, to allow additives to their faith additives to the, to the teaching of just Jesus. Remember Pastor Corey in week one, he said what? Jesus plus something, Jesus plus an additive equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing, just Jesus, that's, that's everything. And Paul seems to be legitimately worried enough that, that allowing these additives, these false teachings, could destabilize the church in Colossae. And so he's speaking very clearly to them. Um, and he speaks about this philosophy. He says it, it's, it's empty, it's hollow, it's deceptive, it's based on human tradition, it's based on elemental spirits, it's, it's not of Christ who, again, Paul just spent a chapter and a half exalting Christ as the fulfillment of all scripture, as all that we need, it, it's Jesus. That's all you need. Don't add anything else to it. Just, just Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter, and, and in this section, he's going to be affirming some truth about, about Scripture. He's going to affirm some things about their faith to combat this philosophy. He's going to give them some truth. Why? Well, because the truth, the truth will set you free. That's why. Paul believes that the truth of Jesus will set them free. That's the title of tonight's message. Let's take a look at this. Um, and let's listen care- carefully because um, we shouldn't be so quick to assume that like, we don't also easily fall into the traps of listening to teaching that's not true, that's false, that's based on tradition or human philosophy. So let's read this. Second, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And would you do something radical for me at home? Because we're going to read about eight verses here. Um, if you have the faith for it, would you stand up while we read the scripture? Can we just stand up just to tune into this for a minute and hang with me? Then we're going to go back verse by verse and break this down. See to it, Paul says, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, he nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Would you just pray with me real quick? Father God, Holy Spirit, would you come and just be present in this space and minister to our hearts and our minds right where we're at to exact truth and power from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you did stand up, you can be seated. Now's a great time for that. Um, We're gonna go back through this and break this down and understand exactly what Paul's saying. He lays out a clear issue and then he identifies five truths 
five truths that he wants to reaffirm in these Christians in Colossae. Paul says, see to it, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that you're not taken captive. The Greek word here, you guys want to learn some Greek tonight? Let's do it. The Greek word here is, um, I'm going to try not to mess it up. I've been working on my Greek this week. Um, Sulagogeon. Sulagogeon. That's the word. When he says, don't be taken captive, he says, don't be sulagogeon, which means to be carried off as spoils. To be carried off like a predator takes his prey away. This is what Paul says, don't be taken captive. Don't be, don't be the spoils of a spiritual war that you fall prey to because you're believing false and empty doctrine, false and empty teaching, things that are not of Christ. This is what Paul is laying out very clearly. It's our issue. See to it that you are not the prize spoils of empty and deceptive philosophies that are not of Christ. See to it you're not taken captive like, like prey. This elemental spirits, um, these, these, these human tradition philosophies, it's easy for us to project and, and feel like, um, I don't know that we deal with that, maybe, maybe they did then, but I don't so much. But if you think about it, we have this problem in our society too, right? I go to church on Sunday. Why do you go to church on Sunday? I've always gone to church on Sunday. My parents took me to church on Sunday. That's a human tradition, as a human tradition that you think that, that showing up in a building is what reconciles me to God or, or makes my life better. And listen, come to church. It's great. You should be here. But if our motivations aren't right, we observe holidays. I come to church on Christmas. And I come to church on Easter. It's human tradition. There's hollow and empty, deceptive philosophies like, like, like God doesn't judge me. Like the whole, the, whole, the whole purpose of Jesus is that God does judge you. Like very much, very really, God, God does judge you, but what we have in Jesus is one who takes the place of judgment for us if we receive him. So, so God will judge you, but if we've accepted Christ, he will judge us through the lens of, 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 of Jesus. It's a hollow, deceptive philosophy. Like, like all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different. Ravi Zacharias teaches about this, and, and he says exactly the opposite is true. All these major religions, they're fundamentally different. Like if you look at them, if you study, if you pay any attention, they're fundamentally different and maybe superficially similar. But hollow and empty and deceptive teaching is like us all the same, all roads lead to the same God. Just don't worry about it. Just live life and enjoy. God's not going to judge you. God wants you to be happy. I don't have time to go into that. God wants to bless you, but in accordance with his will and God's blessing for us doesn't always look like what we think blessing should look like. Well, at least we don't worship elemental spirits, right? Praise God. Now, Colossians did that. Maybe, you know, earth, wind, and fire. The only earth, wind, and fire we worship are the ones who sing September. That's a terrible joke. Um, <laughs> but we bless God. Um, we, don't, we, we don't worship that, right? But we do have a lot of people that, 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 that you know, worship at the altar of, of naturalism. That everything in life has a natural cause and any supernatural explanation is, is immediately discredited. But how many of you know science cannot, cannot explain love? 
science cannot and should not define morality. Shouldn't. And if you play out the effects of naturalism, the world becomes a really scary and ugly place that's quite frankly terrifying if you play it out. We have this philosophy of new age, that, that everything in the universe is God, you are God, and it's all self-fulfillment and, and self-actualization, and God is me, and I am, I am God. And if you spent 10 seconds observing yourself and your lack, you would know that there's, that's the most hollow and empty and deceitful teaching there could be. I resemble nothing of God. So I guess my point is this. We're all subject to believing teachings that are false. We're all subject to, to believing things that are deceitful. And what Paul is telling us is see to it. See to it that you're not the prize spoils of a spiritual war that's being waged over your life with teachings that are just based on human tradition or elemental spirits or things that are ultimately what? Not of Christ. Why? Because of our first truth. Because in Christ is the fullness of God. And in you is the fullness of Christ. Don't believe these things which are not of Christ. Why? Because in Christ is the fullness of God and in you is the fullness of Christ. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. What Paul is saying is, again, just what he's been saying, like this, this whole this whole time he's been saying that it's Jesus, the full weight of deity dwells within Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Everything was created through him and by him, and all you need is Jesus because it was through him who reconciled you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of life. And so on one hand, Paul's saying you've got these, these empty, deceitful, hollow teachings that are based on human tradition and they're based on elemental spirituality and, and some kind of, kind of crazy things. And on the other hand, you have Jesus in whom the full weight of God, the full deity, the full presence of God dwells bodily in Jesus. And Paul's saying, you don't need to add anything to that. You don't, need to, you don't need to sprinkle a little bit on top of that. In Jesus, you have the full weight of the deity of God. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And he is the head of all rule and authority. It's like this. I could go home tonight and uh, write up on some paper my, my own constitution and my own bill of rights. And I could, I could write it, and I could sign it at the bottom, and I could put articles in it, and I could put some really fancy language in it, and I could have it laminated, and it would look really great. And in there, I could write that each one of you owes me a tax. You owe me a tax. You have to pay. And if you refuse to pay me out of your own free will, then in my bill of rights, I, I have by right the authority to come to your house and take it from you. I could do that. And then when the police pull me, pull me out of your house and handcuff me, I could, I could wave my bill of rights and say, officer, no, 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 you don't understand. I wrote in this article that, that I have this right, that I, I, I have the authority to do this. And what would he, he say? We're going we're, we're gonna to get him a mental health examination as well. We write that down. Why? Because it has, no, it has no authority. It has no weight. But there's a real constitution. It's also written on paper. 
It also has articles in really fancy language, and it's also signed by some people at the bottom. And if I go into a court of law, I can very much use that constitution to defend my rights and say, as an American citizen, what I can and can't do, and that carries weight. That has real authority. What Paul is reminding us is, yes, yes, Jesus is in a human form. He's got body, he's got ears, he's got toes and fingers, and, he, and maybe his back ached after a hard day of, of work, but he is nothing like your body. Because in Jesus is the full weight of the full presence of the full deity of God dwelling bodily, the one who was here before creation, the one through whom all things were made, the one through whom is the visible image of an invisible God. It's, it's Jesus. He has real weight and real authority. He's the head of all rule and authority. And just hang on to that note for a second because this comes back around later in this passage. Jesus is the head of all rule and all authority. Maybe our reminder with truth one is that teachings of legalism, of justification by works, of, of anything that diminishes the saving work of Christ on the cross is useful for only one thing, to keep men and women in spiritual slavery. And Paul is saying, don't believe these empty, hollow things, these things that don't profess Christ, because in Christ is the fullness of God. In you is the fullness of Christ. He has made you a part of his covenant people. He has, he has set you aside. He has included you in the covenant. Like, what else do you need? Like, if you know that, like, what else do you really need? Do you need proof of that? Like, do you want me to prove it to you? I hope you do, because I'm about to. Truth two, Jesus has made you a part of his covenant people. So what he's done, Jesus has made you, you who profess faith in him, he's made you a part of his covenant people. Verse 11, Paul writes, In him, in Jesus, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Yikes. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. To fully comprehend what Paul is saying here, to fully understand this, I want to take us all the way back to Genesis, and I want to I show you what, what, what God did in the creation story of Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve ate of the apple and the serpent deceived them, God says to the serpent that I will put her offspring and your offspring at enmity with, with one, one another. And from her offspring will come one who crushes your head and you will strike his heel. You will bruise his heel. So immediately in Genesis, we see, we see something happening through the line of humanity that is coming to, to reconcile and make right what was made wrong in the garden. And in Genesis 12, we see God choose out of all of humanity one man to start this redemption journey. It's Abram. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and he says this, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will make of your family a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, through you Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is, this is awesome. 
God comes to Abraham and says, out of all of humanity, Abram, I'm choosing you. Your family will become a, a mighty nation, and through you I will bless all the families of the earth. It's, it's awesome. So we see in Genesis 3, one from the line of humanity will come, and now God selects out of humanity Abram. There's only one problem. You guys, you're, you're here for 715, so you know what was the problem with Abraham. He wasn't a father. He had no kids. And so Abram comes to Jesus in Genesis 15, 3, and Abram says to God, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household is going to be my heir. So it would have been a servant. If you didn't have any children, a, your, 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 your highest-ranking servant would become the one that would inherit your household when you pass. And Abram's coming to God and saying, God, this sounds great. The covenant, it sounds, it sounds wonderful. Like, thank you, but like, I, I don't have any kids. So what does God say? So God brings Abram outside and he says, he says, he says look, look at the heavens, look at the stars, count them if you can, count them. That's what your offspring is going to be like. That's, that's how much I'm going to bless you. Abram, who has no children, God has made a promise and he's telling him, I still don't have any kids. God says, look at these stars, that's how many it's going to be. What does Abram do? How does Abram respond? He believed. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Abram put his faith on the word of God. Faith is not just an intellectual assent that we're like, okay, I decide I have enough evidence to believe that. No, no, no. Faith is putting your full weight on something. It's both the decision and the intellectual component, but it's also the action. Okay, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my, my full weight on you. And in Genesis 17, God comes back to Abram and ups the ante. God comes to Abram and he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Awesome. Okay, we're still on this theme of, of great multiplication of a great nation. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now in 15, he said the father, or in 12, Genesis 12, he said, I will make you the, a great nation. Now he says, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram means exalted father, Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. God ups the ante. And in Genesis 17, he continues in the next four or five verses, God continues explaining his covenant to Abraham. And he says, he says, you will be fruitful. I will make, I will make a nation out of you. Kings, kings will come from your line. You, my covenant will be with you and your children and their children throughout all generations. This is the covenant that I am making with you. And this is awesome. Like, this is great. Like, God is so, so good. And then he makes it really weird. God does something totally bizarre to seal the covenant with Abraham. It's, he says this in 1710. God says, this is my covenant. All these things I've promised you. This is my covenant, which you'll keep. You'll keep this between me and you and your offspring after you. Here it is. Are, are you ready? Here's the covenant. The covenant I'm going to make with you is this. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
it shall be a sign of the covenant between us. Like, that's, that's a very weird way to seal a covenant. Like, could we sign some paper? Could we, like, make a sacrifice of a lamb, spill some blood on an altar? Like, this is, it's okay to think your Bible is kind of bizarre sometimes. If you read it kind of with fresh eyes, you'll find there's a lot of very unsettling and kind of bizarre stuff in here. This is, this is a little bit weird, right? The sign of my covenant is that you'll be circumcised. Why, though? Well, the promise from God to Abraham was one of paternity. It was one of fatherhood. I will make you many nations. Um, A covenant with God is unchangeable. You can't take it back. You can't undo it. We make covenants and we spoil them all the time and we say, I'm gonna be in this covenant marriage with you and then it gets a little bit hard and you're being a little bit irritating and you know what, I'm gonna just break that covenant. It wasn't really that serious to begin with. We do that. Humans do that. And this is part of the issue with all of scriptures that humans continually break their covenant with God. But when God makes a covenant with you, it's permanent. You can't undo it. Understand? And thirdly, this, this act, it's, it's, it's a mark of cleanliness. It's a mark of purity. In fact, it's still practiced to this day irreligiously for those very reasons. It was, it was, it, it, it was the cutting away that entered you into a covenant with God. It was the destruction of flesh that entered you into and marked you as God's holy and chosen people. I promise we're going to get back to Colossians. So what Paul says this, there's your backdrop. Abram, the covenant, the covenant of God's people. This is my mark. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, which is mostly Gentile converts. It's mostly people who did not grow up Jewish. They had not partaken in this religious rite and ceremony. And what what originally precluded them from the faith, what originally left them out of the covenant of God, Paul is saying, no, 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 you were circumcised. It wasn't a circumcision made with hands. It was the putting off of the whole body of flesh, all of it. You didn't didn't just put a little bit away, you you put all of it away. How did we put all of it away? Well, this is the circumcision of Christ. You see, we enter covenant not by the destruction of our flesh. We enter covenant with God by the, by the destruction of the flesh of, of Jesus on the cross. He paying, him paying the price for our sins. He is the whole body put to death and we receive that. Well, how? Well, baptism. The act of baptism is the symbolic representation of us joining in Christ's death his burial, the putting off of our old flesh, our old selves, and then the raising to life, a new one. And this is what, is what puts our flesh away. It's a permanent covenant we're entering into. It's symbolic of cleanliness and of purity because it's a washing away of the sin. And it's partnering with Jesus in his resurrection. Okay, well, how? How do we enter that then? By faith. Remember Abram? He believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. We believe, AJ believed, I believe, I don't understand everything yet. A lot of it doesn't make sense, but but I'm working every day to, to understand. But I believe, I have faith in Jesus. And I symbolically enter into and, 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 and share in his death, his burial, the putting to death the old me. I've professed him as my Lord. I've repented and turned. No, I'm putting to death the old me and raising to life through my faith the new, the new me, a part of God's covenant chosen people. This is what what Christ 
has done. Paul says it in Romans really, really well. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him. We were buried with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, you and me, we also would walk in the newness of life. This is, this is the beauty of the symbolism of the act of the rite of baptism, that when we receive salvation from the Lord, then we call him not just Savior, but Lord and Master, and I will do what you tell me to do. I will go where you tell me to go, and I'm going I'm to dig into my word and figure out how to live this life according to your standards because you're my Lord. And then we repent and we turn. We, we, we go into the waters of baptism. We come up walking in the newness of life, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you, you weren't circumcised by hands. You were circumcised by the, by the, by, by the body of Christ, by baptism, through your faith, which is the same way that Abram entered in long, long ago. He goes on to say this, verse 13, just continuing right along. You who were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sin, you who were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. How? Paul's about to lay out three things. There are final three truths about how God makes us alive together with him. The first is this, having forgiven us, all of our trespasses. Jesus has made you alive by forgiving your sin. Yahweh, creator God, the God of all eternity, the God of the Garden of Eden, that God, the God who created all things, the God who who had to separate us from him because of our sin, has forgiven us our sin. Romans 6.23 says, "The, the wages of sin are death. But God has forgiven our sins, so we no longer owe death, and if we don't owe death, then what do we have? We have life. We have life to be lived, life to be lived abundantly, fully, in the full knowledge of who God is, of who Jesus is, and when we let that transform us, when we let that uh, uh, cause us to walk in the newness of life, we have a life, like you're alive, church. You have life to be lived in freedom and in spirit and in truth with Jesus as your Savior. You get to experience the abundance of the presence of God on a regular basis. You get the understanding of how to have a relationship that's healthy because it's marked by humility and forgiveness and grace and mercy. You you have life in your work and your employment because you know what it means to toil for the Lord because you're not working for any man. You're working for the Lord and you experience the richness of the goodness of the presence of God every day. You are alive because God has forgiven you of your sin but God is so good he takes it a step further he says in verse 14 he's canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross this record of debt I got another Greek word for you Anyone want to take a stab at pronouncing that at home? Go ahead and try to pronounce it at home if you can see it. Chiriographin is not how you say it. It's not how you say it. Now that I've said that, I'm going to forget how to say it. Let me look at my notes so I don't, so I don't mess this up. Chiographon. Um, Chiographon. Um, it's the written record of what you owe. You go, to a, you go to a restaurant, you order a bunch of pancakes, you get some eggs, you get, you get, uh, you get some coffee, she writes it down on the little pad, and, um, and then you say, actually, well, I'm going I'm to add a fruit cup to that, and she writes it down, and then at the end of the meal, you ask for what? 
Okay. I need some water for this one because I, I, I got to get the, uh, got to get the phlegm. Herographon. That's what you ask for. Your, your written record of what you owe. Your, your check. You ask for your receipt. Jesus has canceled the record of debt against you. My generation love um, pulling receipts, pulling receipts on people. Uh, if you're not in my generation, you might be confused. What I'm talking about has nothing to do with a bill of sale. It has nothing to do with an exchange or transaction. Uh, when we pull receipts, because of social media, because of, of texting, and because pretty much every interaction we have is through, through a device or posted somewhere, we have a written record of, of every position we've ever taken, anything we've ever said, and most of the things that we've done. And a lot of people will hang on to those. Now, I'm not saying this is good behavior. I'm just saying it's behavior. And, um, and if you ever say or do something that's, that's not congruent with a previous held position or something you've done in the past, people will pull receipts on you. And they'll show you how you're wrong. You know, I have a couple, let's say, that comes into my office. They want to meet with me for some help in their marriage, which is wonderful. And he says, you know what, man? She just, she calls me names all the time. She's so mean to me. She texts me these mean things. And I just feel so disrespected. I feel so emasculated, man. Just at the end of my rope, I don't know what to do. And she goes, Pastor AJ, you know me. I would never do that. I don't call him names. I'm teasing him. It's all in love. Like he's being a baby and he does what? He pulls receipts. He shows me the texts, right? What Paul is saying in this, God has taken our herographon, our written record of what we owe, and he has done what with it? He's nailed it to the cross. He's canceled it. He's gotten rid of it. It says, it says, um, it says he set it aside. The Greek there, the words were too long. I can't teach you this one. But, but, but the, literal, the literal translation for he set it aside is this. It means he takes it out from the middle or from the midst of you. He takes the written record of sin. He takes the written record of the law against you. He takes the written record of what you owe, the written record of what used to define you, the written record of all that separated you from God. He takes it out from the midst of you, and he does what with it? He nails it to the cross of Calvary where Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. He's taken from you what you owe, and he's nailed it to the cross because, because he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin that we might have life. And when, when Jesus died, all of that, all of our written record of debt died with him. But because Jesus has the fullness of God within him, he raised back to life. And because our sin and our past and our former identity does not have the power of God in it, it does not come back to life. It stays dead, where Jesus left it, where God, where God left it. Paul is saying that God has given us life. He's forgiven our sin. He's taken the record of debt against you, and he's put it on the cross. And when he did that, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The claims and accusations against you no longer have power or weight or authority because God has put them to shame. He's, he's disarmed them. Our fifth and final truth, Jesus has disarmed, defeated, and embarrassed the powers that come against you. He's taken their ammunition 
away from them. And when you've given your life to Christ in the baptism of the water and the resurrection to the new life and the washing away, the forgiving of your sins, it takes all authority away from the enemy to call you something you're not because you're not that anymore. That, that old you was left in the water. You're walking in the grace of God, a new creation. You're going to call me a liar? You're going to call me prideful? You're going to call me an abuser? You're going to call me a gossip? You're going to call me this, whatever your things are? You're going to call me that? No, 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 no. I'm walking in the newness of life. God has taken that from me. He's put it on the cross. It no longer has any power to define me. I'm defined now by Jesus. You know, I have um, been very, very blessed to have been able to pay off all of my and my wife's student loans. There's a whole long testimony behind that for another night, but, but God has really seen it to bless us that, that we were able to put all of our student loans, we, we've paid them off, and we thank God regularly for that because I know it's not the case for a lot of people. But I still get spam calls, as I imagine you do. And I'll get spam calls that say, Mr. McGraw, this is you know, Susan from the billing department of your student loan company, and we're calling to let you know that there's an issue with your loan, and if you would just return our call, We'd love to sort this out with you immediately. But my record of debt has been paid. So this, this scam, this scheme, this lie, it don't work on me. Immediately, I know, no, no, you're not. I don't have a student loan. They call me, oh, your warranty has expired. No, it hasn't. I know exactly where that is. The record of debt of what I owe has been, is been paid, has been paid, and the, the enemy that comes against me to define me, to trick me, to deceive me, to tell me I'm something I not, I'm not, to tell me I owe something I don't owe, to tell me I need to do something I don't need to do, it has no authority, it has no power, it has no weight over me because it's been taken care of. Jesus has put it to shame. And if I ever answer this call, it would be so easy to embarrass this person. Why? They're making an accusation against me that is immediately proven false. And when you walk in the truth of the knowledge of Jesus, that you are in his covenant family, that, that in Jesus, in Christ alone, not in your works, not in your legalism, not in your adherence to tradition, not in your striving, but just in the full weight of the glory of Jesus, we are filled by the Holy Spirit. We are raised to new life. We are part of God's covenant family. When we walk in that truth, we put to open shame anybody that would try to define us differently. That truth sets us free. It releases the power of sin and shame and doubt and identity and purpose. It takes their power away. It takes their power away. Paul says it like this in Romans. I'm going to close with this. Who then, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us now. So let me ask you, who, who, who will separate you from the love of Christ Jesus? Who can do it? Nobody can do it. 
Paul is affirming to the church in Colossians, don't be led astray by these empty, hollow, deceitful lies that you've got to do something else, that, that, that you've got to observe certain festivals and traditions, or that there's elemental spirits that you need to appease, or there's, or there's this and there's that. Put your trust in the full weight of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. He's been raised to life by the power of God, and so too are you. And if you are walking in the newness of the life, in the freedom that comes by having God made you alive, through that, then any power, any authority, any weight that would come against you has lost all matter of meaning. It carries no weight. It holds no power. It has no authority over you. This, I believe, is what Paul is trying to communicate to remind the church in Colossae. This is the truth, I believe, that will set him free. Let me pray for you. Father God, help us in this moment to be transformed by your word, to hear and see afresh your plan for redemption through the entire book of the Bible from Genesis up until now. God, you are working through humanity. You worked through humanity to bring about a savior that enters us into a new covenant, a covenant of truth, a covenant of life, a covenant of freedom, covenant of abundance with you, Jesus, King Jesus. That's all that we need. Father, open our eyes. Open our eyes, Lord, to see that, the beauty of that, the simplicity of that, and the power of that. If you're watching tonight and you don't know anything about that or you thought you knew, but turns out, man, that's that's not the way you knew it. And you want to make a decision today. You're deciding by faith. Abraham believed We enter in through new life, through faith. If you are believing tonight, you're making a decision. I know enough to take the next step. I know enough to put my full weight of trust on Jesus. Like, I'm ready for that. I don't know know it all, but I I know that. Would you respond uh, one one of two ways? You can, if you're watching in the chat, you can click the raise your hand button and We do that just because we want to follow up with you and and walk with you. And if you're watching on YouTube later in the week, would you text New Life to 25827? And just follow the prompts there and fill out the form. Just give us your information so we can reach out and connect with you because we believe this journey. You may not know everything, but you know enough to make a decision. Well, we want to help you fill in the gaps and, and walk with you. If that's you tonight, receiving Jesus afresh, would you, just, would you just mark this moment by prayer and just pray with me to Jesus. Say, God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the new covenant by which I can enter in and be reconciled to you. Father, forgive me of my sin. God, cancel the record of debt against me. Lord, that I might walk in the fullness of life with Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. God, I repent from the life I've lived. I'm choosing today to turn and to walk a new path, a new direction with you, Lord, as my head. Because all I need, all I know that I need is Jesus. Amen. If that's you, it's a great day. And God is good. Please fill those links out, follow up with us so we can follow up with you and begin walking on this journey together. Church, let the truth of the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
be the thing that sets you free today from the bondage, from the frustration, from the tension of the world in which we live. You are the best. You have a blessed week. See you next time.